Who are you? What do you do? Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm Rich. I'm I'm at Dynasty Island. So yeah, cur- currently hosting the, the Five Yard Dynasty Pod, um, and yeah, writer for DLF. Been part for the last 10, 10 months now. Came on just after the end of last season. Yeah, it is a nasty introduction. I, I when I first started doing it, I thought that's like the easiest intro. Like, who are you? And what do you do? And then you're talking to someone. They're like, oh, I mean, explain my existence in three <laughs> seconds. Okay. Um, and it's actually a bit of a gear change. Sorry about that. Um, but Dynasty Island with dear DLF, like myself. Um, actually, this is just random. Uh, but we we were just going back over the podcast numbers and recently my episodes have started to get 6,000 downloads an episode and it's normally around 1,000. It used to be 1,500 before we switched this platform. And that's why I was watching it. But like the last two have both been in-house DLF interviews and I'm like, they hit different, I guess, <laughs> because 6,000 is like four times what I'm meant to be getting. So yeah, welcome in. Come get me another 6,000. That'd be great. Um. Anyway, uh, Dynasty Island, you're at D- DLF, doing some good work for us. Um, how do you play Dynasty is way too broad of a question, obviously. Um, but yeah, how do you play Dynasty? What Do you have a basic way you try to approach it? Or have you thought about it in those terms? Or do we need to talk about something specific and try and figure it out? I don't know if I, I, I specifically have come into this this world and gone this this is how i play dynasty i think i try and yeah, take a this is who i am yolo no, no. that's fair <laughs> no i don't no, think I'll most probably... people do <laughs> no i mean I, i'll tell you what my, my approach is i try to win there you go that's there that, you, that's, that's actually an appropriate yeah because there is uh somewhat of a what are the <laughs> words pete that's actually fair because some people like productive struggle, Ryan McDowell, like our daddy, I guess, a DLF daddy, productive struggle is his baby. And while he is trying to win, we're all trying to win ultimately. And um, I think the value in that strategy was taking it to an extreme in the other direction. Instead of focusing on points and what you think is going to happen, focus on having all the young players essentially so that you know you're not going to age out. You know you're not going to have bad older players and you're continually pushing your value down the line and start out that way. And that's the extreme. He's trying to win, but he's mostly focused um, on the age of his team and getting younger players that are doing well so that he has that value and also hopefully points eventually. Um, Would you say you're on the opposite end of the uh, productive struggle extreme? That's one way to think about how we play Dynasty. Uh, When you do a startup draft, are you overly concerned with how young players are? I think for me, so how I'm approaching a startup is I, I have my trade values. I assign a value to every single player in, in the kind of the NFL and I will basically take best player available at all times. I don't necessarily go into that draft going, right, I'm going win now. And I normally wouldn't, you know, you're not going to find me drafting four or five running backs in the first five rounds and, and completely trying to push all my chips into the middle of the table to begin with. Um, but I'm not going in saying, right, I'm going productive struggle. I'm not drafting anyone who's older than 23. I'm only going to target wide receiver and tight end and and go that kind of way. So I think that, yeah, I'm I'm trying to win. I'm not trying to win necessarily to the sacrifice of next year and the year beyond. 
I'm not. You're trying to find a balance. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Everyone's that, trying to straddle the divide between points and value, and you're not going to go to the extreme, but you're keeping an eye on it. I get it. Um, I, I'm going to call you a flat out liar here in the first probably two minutes of the episode. Because, like, if you're assigning a value to each player, you have a definite idea of how, what you value and how you value it. Um, and that, I think, cuts to the heart of play, how you play Dynasty. So how are you assigning that value? How do you go so about it, assigning that value? So it's it started as a project that I did probably two years ago. So it's, it's very simple. It's a 1 to 100 scale. Um, the, the player that I value the most, so at the moment, is... Josh Allen in a Superflex format, he he is a hundred, um, and it, it it basically scales down from there. And it's something that I I update constantly. I'm 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 tweaking values. I'm looking at comparing it to ADP, comparing it to kind of values over time, so that I'm comfortable saying basically this is what I'd value for for this player. I'd take, you know, however many draft picks to get this player, and it's it, it's a continual progression from me from that first point where i sat down and spent far too many hours trying to work out what i'd assign a value to every player and it's sort of grown from there fair enough so it's not like uh one plus one equals three um wait what one plus one two um it's more a this guy's a 67 in your estimation looking at you know just the general things we all look at where a player's being drafted how well a player's performing um you're just assigning a value that's interesting is he is Mahomes also a hundred, or where would you rank the two, and how would you go approaching two players e easily one hundred at that position? Like, yeah, so so Mahomes is slightly below that. Mahomes is at a ninety five in superflex, and then Jalen Hurts is at ninety two. So yeah, I mean they're they're all in a similar range, um, but yeah, Mahomes is is a, a notch below Josh Allen for me. What's the difference? And, and I know production. you're not assigning exact values to exact <laughs> values, but Mahomes has been pretty good. Josh Allen's been pr pretty good. And it's just literally he's ranked high over the last few years. Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm looking at that production over the next couple of years. And whilst I think Mahomes is probably going to have a longer career. Um, oh, you I, do. Okay. I, I don't necessarily think that Josh Allen's going to disappear anywhere in the next three, four or five years. I think he's... He's here to stay as an elite fantasy option over that time. And I think that for me, I'm valuing that production that, as you said, you know, this is a fairly impressive run of potentially three QB1 seasons in a row. I feel like I'm getting too cute ranking somebody like Mahomes over, yeah. over Josh Allen. And that's definitely how I felt. But the, the two interesting things you just said there, whether you know it or not, Rich, really interesting. Um why do you think he's not going to have as long of a career? Or why do you think Mahomes is more likely to have a longer, slightly longer career? And again, we're talking about quarterbacks, so it's like the worst position to do that. We're talking about decade-long careers, so we're not talking about much of a difference um, compared to running back or wide receiver. Um, yeah, let's just start with that one. Why is Mahomes having a longer career? I think it's, it's a belief in Andy Reid, and I think it's a belief in the unique arm talent that Patrick Mahomes has got. I think he's proven an ability to, um, you know, d d let's be honest, d deliver the ball from anywhere on the field to anywhere on the field that he basically wants to get. And whilst Josh Allen has got maybe the strongest arm we've 
we've mm-hmm. seen in the NFL. I think he, he recorded the fastest throw ever at the combine or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think he's got that level of arm talent that Patrick Mahomes has. I also think that Patrick Mahomes isn't necessarily seeking out the level of contact that Josh Allen is. And I think that you've seen mm. this year with, with the Bills that basically when that offense has started to stall, and you saw it this Sunday with the Jets, they basically went, right, okay, let, let's unlock Josh Allen, the runner. And, and you know, he he's not doing what Patrick Mahomes does when he picks up the rushing yards with his legs, which is on those third and longs where everybody's gone, okay, there's space, I'm going to go, I'm going to get out of bounds. Josh Allen is engaging contact is initiating contact and i think that we're eventually going to see a level of of wear and tear that i don't think he's going to have that 15 20 year career that i'm kind of potentially it sounds slightly ridiculous mahomes is like no, five years good. into his career and i'm saying he's, he's yeah, gonna right. he's gonna go well, 20 years allen, i think that's what fair. we're yeah that's I mean, what we're expecting from mahomes whereas i think that josh allen you know we saw it with cam newton now they're slightly different because I think that Josh Allen is worlds above Cam Newton in terms of arm talent and his his passing ability. But Cam Newton deteriorated very quickly. And because of that pounding that he took, you know, rushing the ball in and around the goal line, rushing the ball and and seeking out contact. And I think that that Josh Allen isn't Cam Newton as a rushing, he's not taking that pounding, but he's he he is still taking significant hits. But it's literally the way Josh Allen rushes almost is what you're saying. The way he invites contact. Both are running a little bit, but one's running differently. And again, that's something that's a nuance rushing percentage doesn't get to, right? But again, uh, Cam Newton is one of the things I I used to argue that rushing isn't as risky as some people might think. Because what always struck me during the Cam Newton and Andrew Luck era is both were giants. Like they were giants of men, like physically they were both actually relatively similar, but we thought of Cam Newton as big and Andrew Luck as a passer. And for some reason that never translated because of the way in which they were and weren't using their legs. So uh, you're watching a lot. I'm getting the impression you watch tape. You're one of those guys Um, and (laughs) assessing how he runs and you think it's slightly more risky. I mean, this year he did pick up a slight injury, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, I'm I'm trying to watch as much as I can. And I think that not all running is created equal, if if I can coin that phrase. I no, think that you fair. look at someone someone like a Lamar Jackson who, you know, Lamar has an incredible ability to basically not get hit. Like he runs oh, okay. as as much as anybody in the league, yet he is either getting out of bounds, he is getting down before contact. But he also has this really interesting way where if you watch Lamar Jackson before he's about to get tackled, he almost jumps into the tackle. So he's not on, he's not, it sounds ridiculous, but his feet aren't on the ground when he's getting hit. So there's not the level of contact because he's in no, the air I, and it kind of softens the blow a little bit. So he's got this same ability. It doesn't sound ridiculous at all. I hate, sorry, I hate cutting you off, but it literally dovetails right into my other the other thing i've learned about rushing from other smart people um which is you know the aaron Rodgers quote getting hit um isn't as dangerous because you can if you're running you can choose how you get hit Uh, and that goes straight to you there are different types of rushes i'm assuming josh allen leans into the contact is essentially what you're saying or looks for it whereas lamar jackson is looking to 
obfuscate or some way soften that hit. And, you know, again, that's the Aaron Rodgers quote. If you can see a hit coming and when your eyes aren't downfield, you, you can. If you're standing there trying to pass downfield, you can't watch what's coming at you. Whereas if you're rushing, I'm guessing you're not nearly as pathetic as me. So you don't have like categories of types of runners. But there are, there are, are the other quarterbacks that rush in a certain way that stand out to you. Yeah, I, I think... Jalen Hurts is probably in in the Lamar category, but not. I think okay. Lamar's in a, in a tier of his own in the way that he avoids contact and the way that he can do that. I think Hurts doesn't engage contact like a, to the level of a you know a Cam Newton or a Josh Allen, but I think that he does more than than a Lamar Jackson. I think that the the volume that you know Jalen Hurts does, it, we, we've seen this year with those you know, the essentially unstoppable fourth and inches plays that the Eagles have been running where it's the two the two guys push him kind of thing. I mean right. that's 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 a really dangerous play, quite frankly, because you know, you've got seven, eight guys fall on top of you, all weird angles. That that's a level of risk that you know you can get injured on any one of those at any point, can't you? Ah no. Tom Brady's been quarterback sneaking for years. He'll be fine. Um no uh <laughs> Um, this is part of what frustrates me about tape evaluation, though, because those are some interesting things people can add to their list of things they want to know, like how players are choosing or not choosing to get hit, something they can do. But me personally, I'm a, a, an idiot, and I don't get much from tape. But ultimately, I can't literally quiz you every time I want an evaluation of a player. And, I, and it all comes down to you are good at doing this. I am not. And while that's great, I love listening to you on podcasts. I don't want to do it more. Sometimes I need to make up my own mind. And so do you have a way of evaluating players or your roster that can help someone without having your eyes or your knowledge? Because you have literally coached at a national level. It's England, but it's national. So we'll count it. <laughs> I think that look, it's, it's, it's the qualitative versus quantitative approach, isn't it? And it's about taking something that is difficult to quantify in terms of tape and what I'm looking at and what I'm seeing and putting it into essentially something that you can spe specify and analyze a, a little bit better. And and so what I look, like to do is I've got, it's, it's, it's slightly archaic. It's my traffic light method where I basically break down my rosters into positions and I will try to determine on my roster what I have as terms of a, positional advantage whether i have a positional disadvantage or whether i'm kind of average so as we were talking earlier i assign players to, to uh, values to every single one of my players i will look at my qb1 spot on my roster and i will say am i at a positional advantage versus the average person in my league am i average or am i at a positional disadvantage and i will give that a green orange or red and i'll do the same for my RB1 spot, my RB2 spot, and and so on. And then I do that for every single one of my leagues. And it's something that I'm consistently, constantly managing. And therefore, I'm at a very high level able to dive in, look at my rosters and say, where am I at? Do I need to go and make a trade? Do I need to, you know, perhaps turn a, an area of strength into a area of weakness? Or, or can I overcome the fact I've not got any good running backs because I've got you know, four or five elite wide receivers that are going to carry me to a title kind of thing. 
That's awesome. Yeah, and I love the traffic light system. That's what I was trying to get you to mention. Um, but again, back to a, exactly the same question I asked with uh, Mahomes and Jackson. How do you decide what's green and what's orange and what's red, if you know what I mean? Um, like if you have DeAndre Hopkins and Mari Cooper and comes up with a third old guy that's also good real quick and then puts it in post, um, then your wide receiver position is green right now. But is it actually orange because it's dynasty, or is there some level of scale for a immediate value versus future potential? Yeah, so I've got so there's there's two traffic lights per position. So there's oh wow kind of pr- production <laughs> production traffic light, and then there's age situation traffic light, and that's not just player age, but that's potentially contract situation, that kind of thing that I'm taking all of that into account. Ooh. So the 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 production is 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 kind of two tiered. So there's dynasty value and then there's production. And 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 that's basically how I'm looking at it. So taking quarterbacks, a green light at QB1 would be anyone in that for me, that first tier. So Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts. An orange would be the, my second tier. So Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Justin Fields, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott. That's that's my kind of orange. And then red would be your Trevor Lawrence, your Kyler post-injury, Tua, Trey Lance, Gino, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, and so on. How do you go about managing that? Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, you've got everything's <laughs> green, you're, you're happy days, right. you know, your roster and everyone's perfect. But you know the real world doesn't work like that so i think it's about for me it's it's less about knowing my strengths but more about knowing my weaknesses and i can sort of assess how dire those weaknesses are and you know if i'm looking at uh you know i've got a a green rb1 spot i'm loaded at receiver i'm loaded at I'm, i'm okay at quarterback and tight end but my rb2 is absolutely dire Mm-hmm. Can I do I need to go out and acquire somebody, or can I kind of muddle together with a bunch of essentially waiver wire pickups for the next four or five weeks until somebody hits that can get me through that? And normally the chances are, yeah, I I can live with that red spot there because there's no immediate answer to come and solve it, and I don't want to go and spend future draft capital to go and try and answer that spot. Yeah, that cuts to it. Um, are there places you're more willing to put up with a red light versus an orange light or a green light? Or are you just, like I say, is it constantly just trying to move them all towards green, ideally? Yeah, exactly that. And, I, you know, r- running back two is a place that I'm normally, the way I like to play is I go running back by volume. And so I will, my bench will be 80, 90% running back. And if there's a couple of injuries or whatever, I've normally got some level of, the guy in your in your redraft league that everybody's talking about going and adding, I've I've probably got two or three of them sat on the end of my bench that I can plug in. Um, right. Tight ends another spot that I'm 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 kind of green or nothing if that makes sense. So no, if no, I've not perfect. got if I've not got a Kelsey or an Andrews, although Andrews has slightly been disappointed in the last couple of weeks, um, then I'm you know I'm I don't tend to like paying up for a, a Hawkinson or a Goddard or in something like Dalton Schultz at the moment Um, because again it's that level of replacement can I grab two or three guys you know like a Juwan Johnson had a nice stretch in the middle of the season that you know if if he catches a touchdown he's basically given me similar production for a tenth of the price 
Yeah, and that's what I'm, I'm getting at. Is there an order of areas where you? I didn't. I said that like it's a plan. Like I'm completely off the wall, as you know. But um, is just looking at a random roster, and you've got greens and reds and oranges, um, which is really a smart way of evaluating a roster. Break it down and just decide. I like that. Um, is there a way you approach every team, or is it really team dependent? Like um, think, I'm always trying to get wide receiver to green first or wide receiver value, that traffic light, that second traffic light to green first, or is it really uh, team dependent? I think it's you. no team is kind of created from ground zero, is it? So I think that you're, you know, even, even when you're in a startup, the startup falls, you're, you know, you're looking at ADP and there's certain positions that you're, you're targeting first based on who falls to you. So, no roster are you looking at it going right i've got nobody who's the first player i'm penciling in kind of thing um so from that yes i mean yeah to answer your question i'm probably leaning more towards quarterback and wide receiver are the positions that i'm i'm looking to get green more because i think that they have that slightly more bankable production um than longevity you know got it yeah yeah exactly But that's, you know, if if I'm in a league where, you know, I've taken over an orphan and it's got two or three stud running backs and it's like, okay, I'd I'd be stupid to be like, right, I must build around wide receivers first. I'm going to go and get rid of these running backs and try and build from the ground up. I think it's it's about working with what you've got to begin with, isn't it? I don't know if you'll be stupid. Not I understand what you're saying. It's not wrong. But like um, you could be like if I've got green running backs running backs are in bigger injury risks. I've got, we think on average, slightly shorter careers and wide receivers in terms of fantasy relevance or fantasy value, at least. Um, some people approach the game with, if I've got good running backs at a certain point, I'm going to try and trade them into wide receivers. Um, and so I, that's what I'm asking about. Like you were happy, if your green is in running back, you're fine running with that. Or is there a point at which you'll be like, need to move that over at some point? I think it depends. This is where it comes back to the second traffic light of that kind of age contract right. situation is that I think that the way kind of running back value goes is we sort of perhaps overhype them at the beginning. And it's sort of, I almost picture it as like a little square and you've got value, value versus production. And it's like at the beginning, there's more value than production. Then they get into that sweet spot of, you know, year two, three, generally where mm-hmm. they're high value and they're, they're high production. Then they're, they, they hit potentially that second contract where their value starts to drop, but they're still good and they're still producing. And then there's the final end of their career where the production starts to drop and the value is essentially nothing. And I think that, yeah, in, in an ideal world, I'm probably looking to get out a year too early than a year too late, potentially, or it's probably not a year, is it? It's, you know, a month or two too early rather than a month or too late on a running back. I'm I'm normally trying to sell at peak value on a running back whereas I'd potentially be more willing to hold on to a quarterback or a wide receiver as they start to age out. I love the way I've taken your system, literally designed to make it almost, well, not binary, tertiary, like simple and and made it sound intensely complicated. Because honestly, I think that's most of our experiences when we look at our roster. It's like, okay, I got my traffic license. But then you've always got these maybes and these ifs. And how to deal with those, I think, is why we have so many questions, why we talk so often, like, um, do you ever look at the NFL or what's going on right now and adjust what you're 
trying to adjust with your traffic lights. Like right now, running back's a little bit iffy compared to the last three years or so. The last three years have actually and constant decreases in points per game for the top 12. This year, it's gone up a little bit, but we're still on a slight dip. So you are less likely to attack running back at all or more likely attack white. You see what I mean? Like we're adjusting based on what's happening instead of just a traffic light system for players, a traffic light system for the NFL almost. Do you ever, yeah. does that ever enter your thinking? Yeah. And I think that it when when I started this traffic light system, I had a very arbitrary cutoff point of if you are QB1 to QB4, you are green. If you are RB5 to right. RB8 in my rankings, you are orange. And I think that, yeah, it, 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 it was designed to create a, a very clear and concise cutoff. But actually, it meant that the the value difference that I was placing in my traffic light system between RB4 and RB5 was massive, but actually right. they could have been essentially the same player in the same tier. So that's why now I've kind of gone to a slightly more tier-based system so that I... it's, not, it's not RB1 to RB4. It's like the elite tier and sometimes you know at the beginning of this year my elite tier at running back was jonathan taylor and like that that was it quite frankly yeah. and 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 he was in a tier of his own and yeah you know it's it's not quite been the season that we all hope for jonathan taylor but i think you know now if you were to look at my kind of top tier there's like four four five guys in there and i think that that's that's it is it's it's a a, a slightly fluid thing and this is where this works for me because it's working off my rankings and my tiers and everything like that and it's it's difficult to translate that to another person because i know i know my values and my trade values and my tiers yeah yeah i get it but because i mean they're mine quite frankly yeah and everyone has their own way of playing so they can create their own tiers but and again that's a perfect answer it's uh, the traffic light system can work with those influences just by adjusting your tiers how many are in green how many are in orange on a year to year basis no i i think that adjusts for it perfectly um which leads me to like an unprepared question you probably have to think about so i just waffle for a little bit where it's like, is there a position right now or a tier at a position right now which is unusually thick or unusually thin? Obviously, you just mentioned running back was very thin to start the year. I think for me, it's that tier of aging running backs that are still producing. Ooh, Normally, okay. there's like one or two that we that we hold on. And it's like, you know, if you're a contender, go and buy this guy. But actually, at the moment, it feels like there's loads of those, you know, whether it be, you know, Joe Mixon, Derek Henry, Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. Yeah, yeah, we got a bunch. There's, there's loads. There's loads of them, and it's and it's really difficult to kind of differentiate the value because they they're all all of their contracts are in positions where they could they could be moved on from at the end of the year. All of them are getting up to that age cliff, and and it's like most of them has had injuries already, yeah. and you're like, oh we've, my god. We've been and and I think this comes back to your point about, you know, that 2017 draft class was incredible. And that's part of it, isn't it? Is that everybody's, it's it's the end of that 2017 draft class cycle. So we've got all these good guys that are producing that over the next two, three years, you kind of don't want to be left holding the bag because their value is going to disappear all of a sudden. But there's some great production there at the moment. So yeah, that's, that's a, a big chunk of a tier for me. And the weird thing is we probably have at least three more years of them. And that's comparing them to past good classes 
that weren't as good as 2017. And 2017, just as an aside, is so insane that we keep finding other good running backs that we didn't really rate, before, like Jamal Williams this year. He's a 2017 running back. It's like, oh, another one. Just take another Makes one sense. in the box. Why, why not? Why not? It's, uh, anyway. Um, so that's the question I want to end this. And believe it or not, this is a section on... What are you doing with those guys? Again, usually you would say those older still producing running backs are trade for if you're competitors. Are you still saying that even though it's a thicker tier? Is there something that changes because there's so many of them? I think absolutely, you know, if if you're competitive, go, you know, it's, it's the age old sign, isn't it? If you're competitive, go out and buy a, an aging running back that can give you RB1 production for RB2 prices, basically. But I think that because there's so many of them, it's almost driven the cost to acquire down across the board because yeah. normally, you know, in a, in a normal 12 team league, there's what two, three teams that are rebuilding, looking for next year. They're selling off their aging assets. You might be lucky if maybe there's one or two running backs that are in that sell tier, if you want to, whatever you want to call it, that are, are, are looking to be moved on. Well, when there's 10, 12 of those running backs, potentially even more than that, the chances of one or two of them being on one of those selling rosters is increased. Therefore, you know, supply and demand, there's there's more supply and there's less demand. So the price reduces. So actually, you might be able to go out and rather than spending, you know, a first on that veteran running back, maybe you can go and get him for a second. Maybe you could go and buy two for a first and a second or something like that. It just feels like all of those running backs, because there's so many, we don't know what to do with them. They're so much cheaper to acquire for someone that is contending. No, that's honestly the best answer I've come up for it, which is instead, I can't change other people, but I can change me. And instead you look at what you want and what you have, and you start exploring options you hadn't considered before, like, Trading for running backs, normally not a thing I'm doing when I'm interested in value, but like Brees Hall is going to be healthy again at some point. Javante, is there a market there? And so I start exploring that or 24 picks. If everyone's interested in 23, maybe I'm interested in 24. Or how about players I'm normally lower on because they have lower expectation? DJ Moore, Deontay Johnson, Rashad Bateman. These players have lost a little luster. And honestly, just thinking about other ways other things that I might want that I haven't been focusing on can often um, maybe get trades done because other people are less interested in them right now. So I think that's and my this, honest answer too. Yeah. And this, this comes back. So my weekly article at DLF is about trading and I'm trying to think up different ways to approach it almost every week. And last week I said, right, we're going to focus on rebuilding teams yes, everybody knows, go go and acquire draft picks, go and acquire rookies and young players. And it's like, actually, those those players aren't getting moved at the moment. So what are some player types that you can go out and get? And it's, and, you know, you, you hit on one that I talked about and it's Javante Williams. And and another one is Trey Lance. And it's like, look, okay, Trey, Trey Lance hasn't been great so far in his NFL career. He's hardly been on the field. But he is going to get a chance in San Francisco. Like, there is, there is no way, no world... Uh, can I see San Francisco turning around and saying, right, we've we've traded traded up, we've two firsts plus the first to go and get Trey Lance. Oh, he's he's had two games, right? Let's move on from him. He's gonna be right. the starting quarterback there next year. At the moment, you know, this is a guy that was I think he got up as like, what was he QB eight in ADP at one point? 
he he's now yeah. 15, and 16. Like through five games towards the end of his rookie season was a top five QB. I mean, no, I, I think that's perfect. It's reassessing yourself. Um, another way of doing thinking about it is again, John Bosch has mentioned like names don't matter, it's value. And so if you can try and do that to yourself because you can't do it to your league mates, like who's going to increase in value next year? Oh, I don't like that player, but yeah, absolutely. And I think you what you can also use is you can use kind of NFL tropes and, and fancy tropes to almost yes. work against it. So like Ramondre Stevenson, as soon as the Damian Harris injury went down at the beginning of the year. To me, Ramondre Stevenson had he had that one week where he got all the work, and it was like, okay, he's he's the guy in New England. He is yeah. a true three down back. He's got fantastic receiving potential. He's going to be the guy. Damian Harris is a free agent, but people weren't willing to throw those kind of eggs in that basket because of the history of New England running backs. And but but the thing that everybody seemed to forget was that was during the James White era, and it was like, yeah the Patriots never really had a true bell cow back that, you know, they had some great seasons like LeGarrette Brunt and Corey didn't had some, but during the James White era, you've got arguably the best third down receiving back in NFL history sat there. Why are you going to give, you know, an opportunity to somebody on third down that's not James White. And it's like, right. James White has now moved on we need to start thinking about New England Patriots running backs differently to what was the James White era. It's interesting. I'm not sure I entirely agree, but I like the idea you're trying to reassess a trope and maybe take out. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that completely. Um, and yet, again, if you'd traded for Andre Stevenson at the time, you could have traded him later for a high, even a few weeks later when there are more teams that are definitely certain they need a running back and they're competitive. So, yeah, I like that approach a lot. Um, yeah, we're going to skip out because I realize I'm keeping you too long because I'm enjoying it too much. Um, so speaking of the 23 draft class, have you done any rookie work yet? A, a, a little bit. A, a little, very tiny little bit. bit. I, I'm, I'm like six or seven players in. Is there anyone that stands out or do you think the hype on the class is real? I mean, you don't have to have a definite opinion yet, but. Yeah, I, th- I think the hype on the class is definitely real. I think that look, there's there's going to be some unbelievable value at running back. I think that with the way the NFL values running back, we're going to see some of these guys that are potential studs maybe fall to day three in the NFL draft. I think that there's some yeah. really good guys that are there. For me, the guy that I'm fascinated about is Will Levis at the moment because mm. I, I, I was talking to someone the other day and I described him as a Rorschach test because I think that he is basically whatever you want to see in that if you want to look at him and say, this guy has got every single physical tool you could ever want for an NFL quarterback. Mm. That's what you will see. But if you look at him and say, his production's not there, he can't process, he's got limited accuracy. Like you could also see that. So I, I sit and watch Will Levis so far. And I'm like, there's some times where I'm like this, this guy's, you know, a day three pick. And then there's the odd throw where you're like, okay, this this guy could be a NFL superstar. So I'm really fascinated to A, watch some more film when I can find it because finding college film is non impossible at the best of times. But <laughs> also f- find out what, what the NFL think of him because, yeah, he's he's the kind of guy who 
10, 15 years ago, there's a GM banging the table that, you know, this is the the guy we're going to build around. And we're it'll be interesting develop. to see what, what, what the NFL think about him moving forward. Interesting. Um, all right. Uh, so the question I'm trying to get everyone out on is, because uh, it changes depending on when I'm talking to them. Um, if you have a single league, what is the move you're trying to make? I think for me, it's it's go and ask the question and try and acquire as many 23 second round picks as possible, particularly oh. the early ones. And I think that, look, this, this is potentially a great running back class. There are mm-hmm. three, four, maybe five potentially elite wide receivers. But the thing that creates the depth in a super flex draft is the quarterbacks. And we're potentially looking at four, maybe five first round pick quarterbacks and generally when a quarterback goes in the first round of in the nfl draft they tend to be first round picks in rookie drafts now that's not an exact science but that's a, a general situation that happens when you've got four potentially four or five quarterbacks that are going to be first round picks in rookie drafts that means that some of that receivers you know you think of this last year there was only one quarterback that was going in rookie in rookie first rounds in Kenny Pickett, if you added three, four, five, maybe you were getting Chris Olave at the beginning of the second round. Maybe you were getting Jameson Williams at the beginning of the second round. Like, I just think that the potential depth of the rookie quarterback class is going to create depth in, in this rookie class for fantasy. And I think those early second round picks in a year's time are going to return the value of what would normally be a kind of mid to late first. Um, especially based on the depth of upside talent that we think or oh, being told is so far coming out and trading for Calvin Ridley. Um, but straight up, which one would you prefer? A second round pick or Calvin Ridley? If I'm swinging for the fences and going for the home run, I think it's it's the second round pick just because the potential of getting a you know a league winning player at a better age is is there. But I think if I'm a competitive team that's just potentially looking for a double just to, you know, shore up that wide receiver two spot, wide receiver three spot, whatever, I think Calvin Ridley's a, you know, a screaming buy right now because... Rich, I really appreciate you coming on today, man. Um, At Dynasty Island on Twitter, definitely give him a follow, check him out. Those polls sound interesting. And his weekly article is also just killer on DLF. Where else can people find you or find your work or chat to you or get answers when they need film evaluation because it's really (laughs) frustrating and we need your eyes apparently yeah so i mean everything's on twitter um i've got my patreon which is um yeah dynasty island on there so yeah come follow me that's nice and simple i appreciate it man thanks again no thank you very much yeah Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. You got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. 
Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. He didn't numerate the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play it unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. He didn't numerate the plays, they're analytical.